This episode of Bankless is brought to you by Aave. Aave is a great place to borrow and lend digital assets on Ethereum. You can deposit your preferred asset of choice in order to borrow a different asset, which is particularly good for yield farming if you want to deposit your Ether instead of selling it so you can borrow DAI or USDC to yield farm with. One of the cool things about Aave is that it offers you two various interest rates, a variable one that changes as the market does, or a stable one that gets fixed in for the long term. Check them out at Aave.com. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is a really important tool to help you go bankless, but still let you buy your groceries at your local grocery store. Monolith will ship you a very sexy Visa card that you can use wherever Visa is accepted, which is basically the whole world. But instead of using the dollars in your bank account, it uses the die in your Monolith smart contract wallet. Check them out at monolith.xyz and get your Monolith Visa card today. You know that random string of characters that you have to pass to your friends and family to show them what your Ethereum address is and they just don't get it? Unstoppable Domains fixes that problem. With Unstoppable Domains, you get a human readable name so you can tell them to, instead of paying you at 0x1743q4, you can just tell them, hey, pay me at davidhoffman.xyz or davidhoffman.zil. You don't have to ever worry about sending the wrong address because it's human readable. And this works for not just Ethereum, but for Bitcoin, for Litecoin, for any blockchain that works with unstoppable domains. You can even tell Bitcoiners to send you Bitcoin to davidhoffman.eth. They even allow you to set up uncensorable websites that are always accessible, even if the Chinese nation state doesn't want them to be. Check them out at unstoppabledomains.com. If you're still using Blockfolio to check up on your portfolio, you're behind the times. Check out Zapper.fi because Zapper looks directly on chain to tell you exactly how much of which assets you own. Not only does it know which assets you own, but it also knows where they are. So if you are providing liquidity to Uniswap or you've deposited them to Compound or to Aave, Zapper knows and it will give you a comprehensive report of your entire DeFi portfolio. Not only that, but you can, you can even make transactions through Zapper that allow you to invest in various DeFi protocols like Balancer or Uniswap or Curve. Check them out at zapper.fi. Bankless Nation, welcome to another Ask Me Anything. These episodes are for you to get your questions in. We've got Hugh Karp today, who is the founder of Nexus Mutual. Hugh, how are you doing? Doing very well. Great to be here again. Awesome. Well, great, great to talk to you twice uh, in about a week's period of time. We had a fantastic podcast conversation with you that, that came out on Monday. This conversation is really for the bankless community. So to ask you questions, we do these AMAs uh, twice a month. So the second Thursday and the fourth Thursday of the month, they are broadcast live on YouTube. So you can ask questions on YouTube, of course, if you are a member of the Bankless Inner Circle in Discord, we will prioritize the questions you ask there as well. But this is our opportunity, really, as a community to, to come to Hugh and uh, other protocol builders and interesting people in crypto and ask the questions that no one else asks of them. So this isn't ask me anything. There are, there are no rules, no questions you can't ask. Uh, we will do our best to, to filter and moderate and uh, get the best ones into Hugh in an order we do have about an hour time slot. So this will probably end uh, about five minutes or so after the hour. We'll check in with you um, every so often with, uh, with a time update. Um, okay, those are the ground rules. Hugh, you ready for this? Go ahead, let's go. All right, first question. I, th I thought this was an interesting one to start with. So this came from a, a Bankless community member. Wants to know how you feel about the current yield farming craze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good one. Um, I mean, to me, it's um, it's temporary. Um, but um, well, I like there's some good stuff underlying it, but it's obviously a bit too crazy in some sections for my for my liking. I mean, I, what's, I'm, I'm what's from, the good stuff and what's the bad stuff? Yeah, I mean, like it's hard to draw that line. That's the problem. I think. I think. I think fundamentally, it it it's cool because it, there's some experimentation going on, and especially about bootstrapping communities and giving ownership to communities and stuff like that. And I think that's really cool. And so there's fundamentally some good stuff there, but I also think it's obviously going too far in in some places. And you know, there's obviously potential for scams and rug pulls and all of that type of stuff, which everyone has to keep an eye out on. Um, so you know. 
fundamental ex experimentation is really cool. Um, I think it will lead to some value, but I, it's obviously getting a bit too exuberant and crazy in some places. And I, I guess I'm more from a fundamental um, economic perspective. <laughs> so, um, and so, you know, it, it kind of jars a bit in some places with me, but I, I do acknowledge that there's some, there is some really cool experimentation going on underneath. So in, in my mind, the, this whole yield farming craze is kind of like, it, it taps into that same energy of the ICO mania, right? But it's like a new new and improved upgraded ICO 2.0, which I know is like maybe maybe that hits the wrong way because ICOs, the ICO industry or ICO uh, uh, phenomenon kind of has this bad rap. But as an, as an upgrade to the primitive of the ICO, how do you feel about it? I mean, it's definitely a lot better. But I still, you know, is is that any good? Because ICOs were pretty rubbish. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> um, so you know, it, 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 you're making something that was not so great better. Okay, cool. But um, then look, I mean, I, I do think there's fundamentally some really cool stuff with bootstrapping communities and giving ownership to communities. And I think if we can learn from it and take the best out of that, then great. Um, let's just not go too far and too crazy. And I, I think it's up to everyone that. Um, who's kind of in this community for the longer term to help point out where it's hopefully going a bit too far or, you know, to try and help people avoid some of the worst um, stuff of it. So yeah. Um, anyway, that's, that's my view. Hard to draw a line. Exactly. I think some of it has value. Some of it doesn't. So here, the same community member asked a, a follow-up question about how you feel about shield mining. So I actually didn't recognize the term shield mining, I guess, you know, unless that's yeah. a misspelling of yield, um, do you know what shield mining is? And if you do, could you tell us about it? Yeah, so, well, I guess there's a few things going on and maybe there's a few um, stuff, bits and pieces happening. Um, Nexus is actually releasing something quite soon, um, next week, um, where basically other protocols can provide um, additional um, bonuses to Nexus stakers that stake on their projects. Um, contracts so basically to bootstrap cover for a new project or something like that um so like the keep network with tptc is going to probably be one of the, the first ones to launch with that which is really great um so that's said, kind of you said keep with tptc yeah that's right wow uh, so um, we're really looking forward to that so basically the idea is that nexus stakers that stake on the tptc contracts will be able to earn some bonus keep um rewards and so we think that's really kind of um, fundamentally, like it's, it's actually doing something for the protocol rather than just here, stake some tokens and earn some random other governance token that you dump on the market. And maybe it has some value at a future point in time, you know, um, which is kind of a lot of what the yield farming stuff is. Um, not all, but some of it. Um, and so anyway, so that's our version of um, shield mining, I guess it may be confused with some of the like safe or cover stuff that's going on at the moment, which um, I'm not as close to um, exactly what's going on, but, um, but, but yeah, that, that's also, that's also a thing. Um, so yeah, it can be a bit confusing, but um, the, the shield mining stuff um, we're launching, we're actually really looking forward to it coming out soon. All right. So I, I just want to make sure I understand what shield mining is then. So basically it's where uh, Nexus would work with another protocol to provide uh, some protocol rewards to incentivize insurance being taken out on, on those specific protocols. So with, with Keep, shield, what Shield Mining is doing is it's incenting additional uh, coverage cover for the Keep TPTC protocol. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So like when, when there's a new protocol um, that, that launches, like we can add it on Nexus, but to kind of bootstrap cover or some capacity to start with in a decent price, people have to stake against it. And so this is kind of a, a good way of kind of bootstrapping that initial staking so that um, provide some additional incentives from the project team, um, which will open up some cover and allow people to buy some cover um, at reasonable prices. Um, and then that helps the project because hopefully that gives them uh, more users because more users are happy to do it if they can buy cover on Nexus. So we think it's a very symbiotic way of um, working together. And it's a, to me, it's, there's actually a fundamental, um, like it's actually doing something to help the actual projects rather than just, oh, here's another token that could be worth it. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
So this Very seems cool. like a, a mechanism to help projects like Keep to really uh, solve the problem of like the fact that no one kind of wants to be the first through the door, right? Like especially with tokenized Bitcoin and especially with Keep, which had some problems like getting out the gate previously, right? And like and you know tip of the hat to the Keep team. They're the reason why they've they've you know started and stopped and started and stopped and had trouble like really getting that engine going is because of how conservative they are with their ethos with their ethos and with their principles right like they're trying to retain as much bitcoin maximalist culture as possible in the code of keep right and so that and bitcoiners are very conservative and probably don't really want to be ready to jump out the gate with getting their bitcoin onto ethereum with tbtc but it seems like this new uh, incentive mechanism which is a, a a cross protocol collaboration between um between nexus and the keep project really allows to have more security for people who are willing to like be ventures right who are really to go and and go westward first ahead of everyone else uh, and nexus offer is offering this early insurance this early cover uh to to people that are are doing that right which can really help tbtc get a lot of tbtc onto ethereum quickly which is really kind of what they need right like especially projects in their early days they really need that um that early success to generate that flywheel effect right am i getting everything right here yeah exactly i mean a lot of new projects will need early liquidity whether that's you know, early users in terms of the tpc or maybe you need a liquidity pool in whatever new DeFi protocol you're building and so to help attract that it's often helpful to have some cover on with nexus but you have to bootstrap that cover to start with so it's kind of a good way of um symbiotically working well with everything else so um hopefully we, we're, we're i'm hoping for some decent success out of that on the nexus protocol but also helping DeFi more widely i guess um, throughout this I want to ask another question. This one's coming in from Dap Lion, and this is a maybe more of fundamentals type question. But the question uh, to you, Hugh, is: Is Nexus Mutual fully solvent? So, if all the claims are claimed at the same time, can the system respond? Uh, I bet you'll have a good answer for that, and kind of clarify how Nexus works and how insurance works in general. What, what, what's your take? Um, so the answer is no. Um, and otherwise you're effectively running a fully collateralized prediction market. And, um, and so basically that doesn't work from an economic perspective. Insurance companies work because they massively under collateralize and they re basically rely on the law of large numbers that not everything's going to claim at once. So the probability of lots of low probability events happening at the same time is very small. Um, and so the, the idea being that, um, I mean, the example I kind of always give is if you have the, an event which has a 1% probability of happening, if you fully collateralize that, the most the person on the other side of the bet can make is 1%, and the most they can lose is 100. And so they, it's very hard to make that. So you can only do that, um, make it work economically if you under collateralize, spread the risk, get diversification, and, and essentially Nexus is operating on that, on that basis. So um, right now, we've, um, we are under collateralized. Um, and that may sound bad, but I actually think it's cool because it's actually how insurance is supposed to work. Okay, a question from um, Gabber is um, about the, the theoretical risk. Okay, so let me let me make sure I get this question right. So he's asking about the theoretical risk that someone or a group purchases a sufficient amount of NXM, that's the Nexus token, of course, to approve unreasonable claims for the benefit, uh, for their benefit. Is there anything Nexus is doing against that? Did you understand the question, Hugh, put, put to you as um, yeah. in, insiders kind of purchase NXM in order to start approving unreasonable claims? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, no, we've, um, that's a definite attack factor we've considered a lot. Um, so, so right now, that's one of the, the way we're handling that is one of the more, uh, more centralized aspects of the system. And though we have ways to actually decentralize this. Um, so, so right now, there um, to actually vote in claims, you have to lock or stake NXM um, to vote. And so what they're saying here is you can just buy a chunk of the NXM and then approve any claim you want and attack the system. Um, and so the way we're dealing with that is there's actually um, uh, five members of the mutual called the advisory board members, and they have the power to slash the, the claims assessors bonds. Um, and so they can get in there and slash the bonds before um, Kind of claim payouts or enough claim payouts will be made. Um, and so that's that's the um, the prevention. The reason, um, but that just to be clear, those advisory board members don't decide on claim payments, but they decide on the punishments 
of they can decide on the punishments of the, the claims assessors. And the idea here is to prevent malicious attacks. The, the real idea is that they don't actually ever have to do this, but there's a threat. And that threat is good enough to deter it, um, that attack from happening. Um, we, we're working on ways that we can actually decentralize that into a, gr a large group of people, um, but we just have to work our way through that. And it's kind of a, a we're taking. If you go back and, and, and tell us, Hugh, what, with that specific attack, what does the attacker benefit from that? Like, what's the incentive to do it? Yeah, so essentially, the, the idea here is that you, um, you, you buy some, I guess you buy some cover. Then you um, submit claims, even though nothing's happened. Um, and then you buy enough tokens and XM tokens to kind of approve the claims and perhaps prove, trying to prove a lot of them. Um, and then, and then essentially you just take money out of Nexus's. But system. isn't that, that going to, attack. isn't that going to affect the value of your NXM? You say like, yes. if you have NXM, you own a whole bunch of it and then you're mucking up the system in in a pretty severe way you'd, you'd have to think that a lot of that nxm would get sold and you know decrease the the value of your holdings right yeah exactly right so you you're essentially sacrificing those stakes nxm tokens so I gotcha. you have to get to the point where you have to think that the cover that you've taken and that you can approve is going to be greater than the mm -hmm. nxm tokens that so then maybe you also moves. short you also short the nxm simultaneously or something to make that attack yeah so, I, i'm not thinking of doing that attack don't worry <laughs> I, I just i was just wondering how yeah. it works so be... but we do yeah we do require like many multiples of the claim value in staked nxm tokens to actually approve the claim so it is mm. actually we've we've kind of got we did a lot of work on this one because um, it's it's clearly a good, it's a good question that needs to be dealt with and it's how, how the system actually works um but yeah and i don't think this is any different from like many many protocols have this same sort of like security assurance where like the because you own the tokens you're incentivized to not attack the system right and so like this is mainly a proof of stake type system and, and ethereum and, and proof of stake 2.0 has kind of the same security assurances where like you know you could attack the system but the only way that you attack the system is you have a lot of capital locked up in the system that you're trying to attack right so this isn't this isn't unique to nexus right yeah that's correct and i guess yeah one of the things that we have to be aware of is that derivative attack where where you you don't care because you're taking out a short position elsewhere. right yeah. um and, and sorry like that's that's the thing we have to be be careful of and we there's the slashing mechanism and um, there are numerous other ways that we believe we've, we've dealt with that. I mean, you know, it has to be battle tested. I'm not saying it's perfect. We have to work through it over time and we're willing to adjust it if we need to. So Hugh, here's an attack vector that I've been, I've been thinking about. So like what happens when, you know, inevitably some contract is going to have a bug because like if, if that didn't, then like you guys wouldn't need to exist. So like we're running on the assumption that there will be contracts that Nexus provides cover for that there will be bugs, right? So like say someone sees this bug and then they see that Nexus covers it and then they buy a boatload of cover for that bug and then they go and exploit that bug, right? Like, have you guys thought about this? Um, yeah. Yeah, we have. Um, so, <laughs> good. Um, I'm good to hear. <laughs> so, like, so right now it is actually possible. Um, we like effectively the cover that Nexus provides is like a credit default swap right now. Like, you don't actually have to have interest in the underlying to buy the cover. Um, so it's kind of like a prediction mark on a credit default swap. Um, so that that attack is um, is possible. We do have KYC, so that does provide some soft level benefit um right but are they there. even doing like, anything bad well no like not necessarily they're not necessarily doing anything bad um the, i guess from my point of view and, and this is one of the things we're discussing as a community right now is where we're looking to introduce a like a proof of loss requirement into the um the claims so that would mean that you have to kind of here show that you control an account or um that has actually lost money as a result of this um and then that that takes away the the potential um attack and, and i generally i think i have always thought that we needed some type of structure like that to make it a, a sustainable product in the long term but we definitely release with something simpler just because you know got to get out there got to test the market see how it works and then you can adjust from there 
Well, so do you seem if you do that, where like the user has to prove that they actually lost something in the exploit, you're kind of taking away what I think is a pretty interesting feature where you don't actually need to have loss in order to express an opinion about uh, a the security of a particular contract. So it, it was, is what I'm hearing from you just like, okay, well, we have these two products and, and like one is the, the fact that you don't need to have loss. And then the other one is like, well, we also need to make sure that we're safe from exploitation and tack. And you're just choosing one over the other. Is that right? Yeah. So there's definitely a balance. I mean, if you don't have this proof of loss, then it definitely should be priced higher um, in my mind. So um, there's definitely a, a balance between um, like, what, what are we trying to achieve? Which customer are you really aiming for here? Um, and so in my mind, it tends to make more sense to offer a lower price product and be able to make it more useful for people. But, um, but you know, that's definitely something that the community is still discussing. So um, it could go either way. All right, the bankless community just keeps firing away awesome questions. This one is from Joseph IT um, about how is the risk of loss, the assessment calculated? So for something like death liability, he says they use actuarial tables and that sort of thing. It's, it's very well known. It's a, you know, actuarial science. Uh, how about the risk of loss on a smart contract? How do you even figure that out? Um, how are the stakers calculating that at the moment? That's a good question. I'm not sure how they're calculating it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're basic, we're, that's the, that's, I guess that's one of the things we're doing quite differently where we're basically saying, look, put your money where your mouth is. This is prediction market-esque type of approach. Um, you can use whatever tools or um, analysis that you want uh, to do to an analyze how secure or not something is, and then you can stake against it. And so I think, um, I think that's been done like, pretty roughly right now, but it, it, we are seeing like more that some con the, the more secure contracts or the contracts that you may think may be more secure are actually attracting more staking. So, you know, so the, okay, um, so this is so fascinating, right? So the, the, the actuarial risk assessment is not really part of the Nexus protocol itself, right? You provide the incentive layer to make that risk assessment actually happen, but the risk assessment itself is completely decentralized and that's such a fascinating answer to that question. Like, you're like, I don't know how it happens. That's not up to Nexus or the protocol. That's up to the stakers, which is super fascinating. So first, I want to just uh, dive in on there. Does that ever happen in traditional insurance companies? Like all of traditional insurance companies, from the limited knowledge that I have, um, my, uh, my dad used to be a, a programmer at one of them, like a state farm in the US. And they have you know, offices. Uh, full of actuarial scientists and, you know, data tracking, like car insurance, every type of insurance imaginable to like a, a very precise degree, but it's all internal. They don't outsource that to a decentralized community of like stakers. Um, yeah. Maybe, can you comment on that? Yeah. I think it's one of the fascinating things I used to be, well, I am an actuary. I used to do that stuff myself for, for life insurance um, and stuff. So, you know, um, I know full well how it's kind of done, but I think the, yeah, that's, that is one of the fundamental differences of what we're doing. We're kind of saying, look, here's a protocol, here's an incentive layer, do whatever analysis you want to do. We'll just take, we'll just follow the money about how much is staked. Um, and I, that, that has, um, I mean, it's to be proven how well that actually works. That's for sure. Um, but um, it seems to be worth getting in the right direction right now. The, the, benefit the big benefit that it has is you can actually enter new markets really really quickly right so insurance companies will often wait until oh hold on we need we need multiple years of data to do this thing uh, you know I, I want i want a time series i want um statistically significant information i, I want it like over many years and then and then we'll enter um but here we can go look, we don't know but we'll just put it out there. And if there's not enough staking, then there's no cover off it. But, um, but it allows the market to kind of get an early indication and enter new markets really quickly. So I think that's a massive benefit that we have over, um, over a traditional insurance approach. But, so so you know, does that mean there's a world where there's these independent um, actuaries who essentially like quit their job at you know State Farm uh, but they're really good at life insurance and they come and they start staking and they make money via Nexus? I mean, yeah, I actually see it happening more like um, it's what's called MGAs or managing general agents. They're, they're kind of like, um, there's a group that's an expert in a particular risk type, whether that's crypto or whether that's 
um, something else, you know, it doesn't really matter. And they apply their expertise and they have their models and then they, they kind of uh, their own little business that they sell that particular um, product, they distribute it, they also price it and they can use the Nexus platform um, to provide the risk, um, uh, like the risk capital. Um, and so essentially what you end up with is a backend of Nexus, which is like this um, capital coordination layer, a risk underwriting coordination layer, and you have multiple businesses on top that distribute and price their own products. Um, and so it's kind of how, how it works. So kind of like a Lloyd's or something like that. And then, and then back to that question. So first of all, that's fascinating. And I wanted to dive deeper on that. I didn't even think we, we fully dove into that in our initial podcast. So that's just a, another just fast, fascinating point about Nexus. But, but going back to like how smart contract risk is actually, um, is actually calculated. Do you have any other insight into that, Hugh? Right? So like if I were to just use my you know, model, I feel better about something like make your DAO, right? Um, because it's been formally verified, because it's protecting a large amount of money, because it's been out in the wild for a while, then I do something like um, BZX, which has had like, you know, a couple of hacks, right? Um, so like, how, how are these things calculated? Is, is it primarily Lindy effect, really? Like, you know, amount of value in and duration, and then maybe there's some side things, but the bulk of it is just, it's just simply that. Yeah, I mean, we've, we had a bit more of a complicated formula to kind of take account of those types of things in our pricing, but we actually just shifted it all to just say staking. That's wow. all we care about. Wow. Um, and, and because, I mean, there was a few technical challenges with the formula, but um, like sometimes it didn't quite work properly. But the, the point being that now that we have staking, we don't care. Like effectively, all of those factors are kind of condensed and analyzed, just pulled into one number. Um, and, and so... If, if you actually have a look at our pricing right now, you will see something like Make It Hours kind of at the minimum price, but something like BZX is at a lot higher than that. Um, and so, you know, it, intuitively, it's it's kind of working um, how you might think it, um, it should work right now. So speaking of BZX, uh, we have a, a listener asking about uh, the recent, most recent BZX um, attack. Was did claims go through for that? Were there any claims outstanding on that? Is that a governance decision that's pending? Any update? Um, no. So um, I personally think we would have paid a claim, but there was no one with any cover um, oh. over that period. So, um, you know, there was actually two covers taken out three hours or so after the attack happened. Um, so, but they wouldn't have, you know, different cover periods. So they, did, they weren't there um, during the, the attack. So, um, so basically no, no claims for that one just because no one had cover. People buying cover after it was hacked, did they just not understand the system and they were trying to like sneak, a, sneak some cover in? Yeah, maybe, I don't know, but that's, yeah. That's, yeah. No, no one had cover for the period of the attack. So we haven't um, paid any claims. So what, tell us more about like the timing on that. Like what if somebody had bought cover like five minutes before the attack? Well, I mean, in theory, that should be paid. I mean, it's always it's always going to come down to people deciding uh, what the if it's a legitimate claim or not. But I guess one of the beauties of the blockchain world is you can just look at the, the chain and go, when did when did this happen? Um, but the cover was bought here. The, the attack happened here. Um, I mean, I cover the regular insurance world, and there was there's there's many cases where oh, this person um, really sadly committed suicide five minutes off before or after their policy expired like and like you know so what do you do like and you had to work out like did it actually happen then or did it happen before or after and there's like those real legal cases and stuff like that so you know this stuff um now we have actual data to really determine exactly what happened that's that's a really powerful position to be in. so with nexus is it maybe there isn't any formalized rules because it's up to the nxm holders to determine this but like is it and maybe in your opinion is it like okay you've purchased insurance on this block therefore the next block that insurance is therefore activated is that kind of how you think it works yeah i mean look if the covers purchased before the attack or event started right. happening or before the bug disclosure was made mm -hmm. um then um then it should be it should be um legit that's that's kind of nice because i recently had to buy healthcare and uh, i bought it at like noon and it didn't activate until like 12 p.m that night 12 hours later so i had like 12 hours where i was like well I'm going to be real drive real slow on my way home. <laughs> Anyways, a little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent. Yeah. 
<laughs> Glad right. you kept safe, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is not fun to be with a hospital bill um, when you don't have health insurance in the US, that is for sure. Um, okay, so a question coming in, Hugh, from Above Average Joe. So he's asking, when will the current expansion phase start to wrap up? When do you expect the NXM price appreciation to start growing faster than the network size? I, I'm not going to comment on price. I have no idea. Um, I don't really know. But, but, though, but going back to the underlying question, I guess, we we do have this um, like floor value on our what's called our MCR minimum capital requirement, which is kind of like an arbitrary, somewhat arbitrary like expansion phase that we're kind of driving to get more cover and stuff like that. And quite recently, we shifted um, a bit earlier than we were thinking it would happen um, into kind of like the full long-term growth phase where the actual cover amounts that we're driving, uh, that we're writing, drive the, the MCR value. And so um, I definitely think um, that probably happened, I don't know, six months earlier than I was expecting it to happen. Um, so um, we've had kind of quite a lot of growth recently. And I think that's definitely a point that we're talking about in the community and working out how we um, transition into that longer term. Um, so we're kind of we're kind of moving out of the artificial bootstrapping phase and into the more longer term phase. And you know, there's definitely a, a spectrum of um, ways to go there. And there's no like clear answer about this is definitely true. Um, it's definitely a judgment call. And so I, I think um, we're definitely in the process of working out what what the best approach there is. But for now. Um, we, we have both the artificial scaling and the cover um, driven calculation going at the same time. And we just pick whichever one's the biggest one. Um, so they're kind of both going right now, you know, unless the, unless the community decides we should change that. Very good. Okay. Um, we are at the halfway point here. So you, you've hung with us so far, doing a great job. Um, we've got more questions for you. And this one might be related. This is from Matt Seven. So when will the current, oh no, I just asked that one. Um, I've heard the gearing factor has replaced the 1% daily increase in the MCR calculation. For some people, you might have to explain what that means, uh, gearing factor. Um, what is the trigger for the change? Yeah, so, so basically the gearing factor is kind of what I was just saying before. It really is cover amount divided by gearing factor, the gearing factor is 4.8. So basically our minimum capital requirement is the maximum of either this floor value, which is increasing at 1% per day, or a cover amount divided by 4.8. And so we just picked the biggest number. And so right now, both of those numbers are really close and the gearing factor was ahead. I think yesterday the floor value was ahead. And so they're, they're really quite close right now. Um, and so um, what we wanna be in the long term is having the gearing factor driving everything. Um, but it's actually useful to have this floor value in there in the short term so we can keep selling cover on um, protocols that are where there's a lot of demand like Lion or a compound or um, balancer, et cetera, swap. So, um, so there's kind of the, I, mean, I guess that's what I was alluding to before is we kind of have to work out how to, we, we should be switching the MCR floor increment off at some point, but do we do that now or do we do it in three months time or um, like when do we do it? Um, and so that's definitely the discussion to have. Okay, here is a question uh, coming in from our Discord room from eMozilla. And this is, I think, a question that um, is being asked in the context of other staking protocols, particularly in ETH 2.0. Uh, it's sort of similar. Um, the question is, how is the mutual planning to um, further incentivize staking on contracts? The comment is, it seems in the current yield farming craze, it's hard to attract capital with such a long lockup time, 60 days, if I recall correctly. Um, this is also a question I think people have asked about ETH2 staking, basically, with all of the attractive other ways to um, leverage ETH outside of the core Ethereum protocol. Are we going to have enough ETH to actually launch uh, ETH2 is, is kind of the question. So um, I guess, what's your answer for, for Nexus and NXM? How are you planning to incent staking? Yeah, so I think um, shorter term, the um, the shield mining thing I think is a, is a big change, um, and I think that will that will help a lot. Um, I, we do hear the um, the feedback on this stuff. Um, we, we're taking it on board, that's for sure. Um, we we are um, actually looking at potentially changing some of the design, um, and hopefully um, with the goal of hopefully removing the long lockup. 
Um, so it is currently 90 days, which is we recognize is an age in DeFi. Um, yeah, I so, think I think uh, yield farming is barely like 90 days old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, I mean, the challenge is you need staking for someone that buys a cover for a year. So you need to kind of, um, but if you have the, the staking disappear and the cover sits there for a long period of time, then you kind of got this mismatch. But so we have to work out a way of allowing more um, fluidity into the staking process. Um, but also dealing with uh, what the mutual needs from an economic perspective in terms of backing the risk. Um, and so working out those two things is going to be um, a challenge. And I, I think we definitely can get there. And I, I think we can um, we can remove that 90 day lockup and provide more flexibility um, with with things like tokenized staking positions and other stuff. So look, we're definitely um, looking at it um, and we're considering options. So, you know, we're, we're definitely taking the pro pragmatic, iterate, learn, change it um, if we need to, and, and, and release again. That's that's the approach we're taking. This is another in the weeds question, Hugh, coming from someone. Um, but I, I think it is uh, pretty thoughtful. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this is kind of the, the fall on your own sword option here, but the, the question goes like this. Uh, since NXM insurance is discretionary in paying claims, uh, hypothetical, would NXM holders ever vote for their own insolvency? So if there was ever a large magnitude claim or multiple claims on different protocols, would they ever vote to burn their own NXM stake to maintain the credibility of the system? Interesting thought exercise there. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is interesting. I've, um, so discretionary mutuals in the real world have done this. Um, and so they, they I, I know of facts where that, you know, they've got, um, they come in and all of a sudden they've just got massive claims. And so what, what do they do? And they sit and, and and the key here is you have a strong community that is aligned with each other and you can work out you could have to work out the best solution it's not a good situation to be in but you have to work out the best solution for the community and and so often often that may be a, a trade-off of things like maybe you don't pay the absolute full claim value or maybe you look at other other options or what you need to do in in the future but but basically it's about the community coming together and working out the best way forward so look i mean there's definitely the selfish option of just going, no, we're not going to pay the claims. We're just going to dissolve the whole thing and just split the money between the existing holders. That would be a terrible outcome in my opinion, opinion but it could, it could be done. Um, I, I actually think that if that were to happen, um, Nexus would have, by paying the claims in that situation, Nexus would have built a massive amount of trust in the long term. Like insurance companies essentially there when when the shit hits the fan right that's that's when you want them to be there you want them to be there. and that you 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 build that trust and it will pay the whole mutual back like tenfold in the in the coming um, period so that's i i would hope that that's um what the members would, would come to to agree on obviously i'm just one member um but that, that's i think we have to design the incentive mechanisms so that that is the favorable option. Um, hmm. And that's what we'd be aiming for. There's a there's a reference to Moloch here where and maybe a lot of the listeners aren't familiar with the, the meditations on Moloch piece. But like if you keep on listening to Bankless, you will be. Uh, Moloch is the god of human coordination failure, right? And so, like, if Nexus Mutual decided to like defect and say, like, you know what, f it, we're not paying the uh, we're not paying the the claims, we're just taking our treasury and we're running because we can't do this, right? And then, you know, maybe that's a rational thing to do, at least in the short term game. But Hugh, what you're saying is like, well, you could take that short term hit. But like the signal to the community would pay dividends down the line, right? So long if the if the Nexus, if the NXM holding community can think long term and not defect from each other, well then the the value over the long term is what you think is is that will be just orders of magnitude larger than like the short term game of saying like F it, well let's take the treasury and run. Exactly, and like if you actually get into the details of Nexus, every single mechanism is designed to push alignment of interest over the long term because that's the only way this whole thing works um and so because basically it never makes any sense to pay any claim if you just focus on the short term you right. have to you have to you have to align interest long term and like it's all going to be about 
um, trading off short-term pain for long-term benefit. And that, that's really what um, this, this is actually about. So um, yeah, if you have a look at, if you get into the details of the mechanisms, it's all pushing a, a alignment of interest long-term. And, and if, you know, it's up, still up for debate if we've got that right, but that's, that's definitely what we're trying to do. So we got a question from Yuan from, from the YouTube. Are there plans to implement easy insurance contracts in popular DeFi projects like Uniswap or Zapper? Um, and set one says thinking of a simple button or warning when adding liquidity, for example. And so what I think he means is like you're on the Aave site or you're on like the Zapper site or on the Uniswap site and like you have the option to like deposit assets. And then there's another option saying like deposit insured assets. Right. And like that, I think what he's saying is buy you buy cover uh, insurance from Nexus when you are also doing that action, right? And so rather than, and it's a little bit cumbersome when you like go to Aave and then you deposit your assets and then you go to Nexus to uh, buy cover. So like maybe you guys are, are you guys working on like a business development team or some sort of like way to like just have the Nexus insure with Nexus button like everywhere across DeFi? Yeah, exactly. That's what we're doing. Basically we want no one to buy cover on our application. That's our goal. That everyone, basically everyone's buying cover on our app right now. Um, but that's not where we want to be long-term. So um, we haven't, we haven't um, prioritized that right now because um, we're in this situation where we've got massive demand and not quite enough supply. Um, so it's not like the, the top um, uh, requirement, but, um, but that's definitely where we're, uh, where we're moving longer term. Yeah, it, basically, you know, flight insurance, click the button at the bottom, add it on. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the type of thing we're, we're aiming for. Yeah. Is that easier to do in, in like on Ethereum and DeFi because everything is, you know, composable money Legos as we've called them? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's really simple compared to, um, compared to like the traditional world. So yeah, yeah I mean, obviously you, you need to get the people running the partner sites to, to add it on, but, um, but it's definitely a lot easier. There's a, a very strong protocol sync thesis comment in there somewhere, <laughs> right? Like just make Nexus invisible, but still ensuring all of DeFi, right? Yep, that's exactly it. We don't, we don't, you know, we're, we're insurance or Nexus, Nexus isn't insurance. Um, I'll yeah, say that a few me. times. Um, but um, yeah, but basically it, it's always a secondary purchase. <laughs> you want to do something else and then you, like, <laughs> you, you know, have a car, you get it insured. You know, it's, it's always, you're always doing it for something else. So you, we want to be there um, all the time, but um, we're not the lead sale. We're definitely a secondary purchase. That kind of solves your um, problem of, you know, selling cover to people that aren't actually like uh, have loss available to them. Right. And so like if you are only able to purchase cover when you are doing something on Aave or doing something on Maker, then like you kind of get a, it's a little bit easier to ensure that, you know, everyone who's purchasing cover, it always ha also has loss, uh, a loss event. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and if you want to take that one step further, I mean, that's just a simple it's like an integration, like just a point of purchase, right? But what we really want to get to is like bundled products. Um, so like here's an interest-bearing token that's natively covered. Um, and so you just you just buy that token instead, and then you've got it bundled up. Um, so that's the type, I mean, obviously there's a bit to do to get to that point, but um, but the whole thing is that you, that's what composability really gives you. Um, that's, that's the real benefit of theory. Nice. So, so with all these interest-bearing tokens out there, there's the possibility of like the, the Nexus version of that, which bears a little bit less interest, but, you know, is natively insured. So like when you buy this token on Uniswap, like you don't have to worry about like, is the, do I, you know, do I now need to go to Nexus and get insurance because like you're buying, buying it pre-bundled, just making it super easy for the, for the consumer. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's what, that's what we want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, I think everything that you guys were talking about, about Nexus being sort of in a, a long-term um, game, essentially, with multiple iterations, right? David, you were talking about like um, sl slaying Moloch. It just occurs to me, like so much of what we depend on for human civilization are these institutions that we trust, right? The court system is an institution. The government is an institution. Um, what, what we can start to do with Ethereum and some of these, these money Legos, as we've called them, is uh, create new institutions that are less centralized and less dependent on a company and a set of like say shareholders um, in a big corporate office to, to kind of set the institutional boundaries. So the idea of Nexus becoming an institution for um, I guess uh, safety and risk mitigation across DeFi protocols 
is super appealing. Um, I, I want to ask a question that comes from that's coming from Lucas, and this is about I think riff and riff off the idea of everything that we're talking about. All the advantages of, of composability, Hugh, are I think pretty clear to to people who are watching this. But there are some disadvantages too, right? So, for example, um, Lucas is asking the question: ensuring one. We I use the word insurance, but his words, right? So I, we know what you're really doing, not insurance. But um, ensuring one single contract is simple. You've already proven that out. But what if something happens that affects many different protocols simultaneously? Because again, they're all woven together. So something like affecting Ave, compound, urine, all at the same time, maybe because they all have one single point of failure. Maybe there's a chain link oracle problem. Um, chain link, great in everything it's doing and you know, price feeds across all these protocols, but almost the oversaturation of Chainlink creates a single point of failure for De DeFi that's, that's kind of scary. So what do you do if there's kind of a single point of failure cascading event like this? How does Nexus react? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously two, two sides to this. Nexus has to manage its own risk itself, like which risks it takes on and make sure it doesn't accumulate too much in one spot because diversification is what um, will make it work the best. Um, but obviously it wants to cover as much risk as possible to provide safety to the wider DeFi space. So I think um, with Oracle failure and stuff, I think you can, we can, we can segment it and stuff like that. Um, obviously within limits. And, and the, the, probably the biggest risk that Nexus is probably also exposed to itself is like a Solidity compiler bug that, that no one knows about yet that basically hits multiple contracts at, at once. Um, and then maybe Nexus goes down as well. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of um, DeFi extinction, extinction level event, I think. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like hard those to, words. <laughs> no, but like, I mean, theor it's theoretically possible, right? And I, I guess from, from my perspective, I think Nexus is taking on that risk anyway, because it's actually building on Ethereum. So unfortunately, we have to kind of just assume that that doesn't happen. Um, the 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 best mitigant i'm going to be completely open and honest here the best mitigant for that type of thing is actually having an entirely different protocol if it's traditional insurance totally outside the system because i don't you can't cover something within the system that's like at the base level um so that, that's that's the challenge that um like we are exposed to that risk so you're exposed to all of the systemic kind of risk that's inherent in Ethereum, inherent across right. DeFi, right? And you can't get away from that without escaping to a different system. Right. But I want to ask you about that extinction level event, right? So, because I think yeah. this is somewhat of an interesting topic. Maybe David was about to do that. I see his no, eyes, I'm like, just shivering leaning. from the words extinction level. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, it's interesting because for a system like Bitcoin or even Ethereum, the backstop to an extinction level bug is actually the social layer underneath it, right? So like for Bitcoin, Bitcoiners will constantly argue, will always argue that, hey, even if there was some sort of zero day bug uncovered in Bitcoin that allowed somebody to inflate another 10 million Bitcoin above the 21 million, for instance, the community would adhere to the social contract and fork that out. And, you know, it wouldn't gain enough support to actually be a critical threat to Bitcoin. An extinction level event to Ethereum, I would think, would still be backstopped by the social layer, where it's all of the, essentially the money protocols, all of the users, all of the, the validators, all of the miners, uh, all of the core devs, everyone with a vested interest would essentially say, oh, <laughs> oops, that was not the intent of the social contract of Ethereum. Yeah, there might be a contingent who wants to pump this, this you know, pre-fork, but it would, it would essentially be a, a DAO type scenario where you can recover from such an event. I just wanted you to put your, your risk hat on for a minute and uh, maybe talk about that because uh, extinction level event is kind of a, um, a scary thing to say, um, but could the social layer be a backstop? Yeah, I, I think we've thought about this a fair bit. I mean, the way we're designing Nexus is we want, I mean, it's, it's not going to work in absolutely all circumstances, but the, the idea is that if something is big enough that it hits multiple multiple protocols at once that takes down Nexus, that's at least in hard fork discussion territory. Like, um, so basically, if something's big enough to take down Nexus as a whole, we hopefully we're designing the system so that there is a decent chance that the social contracts um, kicks in 
and and makes everything whole again. I guess. Do you mean do um, you mean for Nexus or do you mean for Ethereum? Like I Ethereum mean for might Ethereum. Fork. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so I guess what I'm saying is anything that's big enough to take down Nexus in one go. Um, we should we should be managing Nexus from a risk perspective, so that if there's anything that's big enough, an event that's big enough to take down Nexus from a like multiple claims happening at once, then that should be a, um, a an event which Ethereum as a whole should consider hard forking. Um, that's, can that's I can idea. I raise the controversial uh, phrase "too big to fail," because that's what kind of comes to mind, and maybe not in a bad way, right? Some things like some failures would cascade across the system that the failure of a core system, maybe like Nexus gets to that level. I've often wondered if, if maker or die is at that level right now where contracts, core contracts become too big to fail. Is that, you, you think there's a possibility there? Yeah. I mean, I don't, um, I think it's going to be interesting. Like if one of the really big ones like maker or something goes down, um, if, if it was just one, I, I don't think that's going to be a hard fork for my my personal point of view, but you know, obviously there's a bunch of other different opinions out there. Um, but I think if multiples go down at once, then it's likely that it's due to some lower level bug. Um, and therefore to me that there's a, there should be an active discussion about, oh, hold on a minute, this, this seems, this doesn't seem right. Maybe we should be hard forking this. Um, so, you know, uh, obviously there's no guarantees on any of that stuff at all. Um, but the idea with Nexus is to, um, to manage our risks so that um, if the, the, the occasion where we fail due to that, it's at least a discussion that the hard fork might, might happen. Yeah, we're starting to get into pretty existential conversation territory. And uh, it's a good conversation yeah. to have and hopefully, hopefully it remains existential. Um, so we have a question from, from Gonzalo on, on YouTube. Uh, are there any plans to insure investors in crypto funds? Like managers running a fund could steal, like abscond with the funds. So investors in that fund would benefit from having insurance covering that event. Uh, any thoughts on this? Um, yes. I mean, look, to be honest, we've built the protocol to be able to cover, cover any type of risk. Mm -hmm. So as long as we can design a product that one, you can like reasonably determine when a claim should be paid. Um, it's not gameable, um, but by someone else, you know, they can just clearly go, oh, we have full control over this, so we'll just um, make a claim. Um, so as long as you have the, a couple of things like that, then yeah, we can, we can design, um, we can design a product that works. And so we've had quite a few people that are coming to us on, on different um, products related to that. Um, it's a little bit different, um, but, um, but those types of things we're definitely considering. Who, who does that work here to expand into a new market? Is that um, somehow governance or is that, you know, kind of Nexus as a as an entity itself, as kind of a meat space um, entity? Yeah, so, I mean, essentially it's governance. Um, the idea being that we, someone has to come up with the terms and conditions, like this is when a claim will be paid. Um, and, and then it's up to the stakers to stake on it. It's basically how it works. Um, and so it's, it's really um, relatively as simple like that. So it should, like ideally, we're not quite there yet, but ideally we get to a point where adding a new product should be as easy as adding a new pool on Uniswap. You go, here's a new product, wow. just add it, bootstrap some cover, you know, add some liquidity, kind of, you know, that's the comparison. Um, and so that, that's the idea where we want to get to. But, you know, th there is obviously a bit more work in coming up with a terms and conditions document than actually just providing a new pool on Uniswap. But that, conceptually, that's what we're aiming for. So this is another, I think, great question from Joseph IT. Um, he says, first, great answers. Uh, thanks, you for that. Um, one of the core components of Nexus right now is this dispute resolution mechanism, right? Which claim should we cover? Which claim should we not? Have you ever looked at alternative dispute re resolution mechanisms like Aragon Experts uh, or uh, Celeros, these kind of DAO-type uh, court systems? Uh, is there any appeal to, to those or are they too early? Your general thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to be able to have a scalable solution for, um, for claims on an ongoing basis. So you don't want to be pushing all claims to an hour on court or a Cleros or something like that. Um, but there could be potential um, options for like having a, a, like a higher level up dispute resolution um, in, in the process there somewhere. We, we haven't done that now um, for various reasons. Um, one of the important things is that the members have discretion over which claims are paid um, rather than 
than outsourcing it outside the mutual. Um, that is one, one important aspect. Um, doesn't mean we can't do it, but it, it, is, it is an important conceptual thing. Um, so yeah, look, there, there are various options. The core, the core claims should happen within the mutual, but we could do higher level disputes outside. So a, a question came in about um, memes and this is crypto, so we can't get away from memes. Uh, so Synthetics has their Spartans, uh, Link has their Marines. Uh, apparently Nexus has mutants. Is, can you, yeah, can you it's, confirm it's, or it's, deny that? <laughs> no, we do. Um, we've had, had it for a little while, so that's, that's kind of growing. Um, yeah, it's, pretty, it's organic and it's pretty fun actually. So it's, um, I, I love it. Um, How did that come about? Yes. Oh community members just getting in there <laughs> okay I, so I think, what is a mutant I think, I think it's i think it's like i think it's coming from teenage mutant ninja turtles right so, okay. like, from the turtle right yeah yeah so, so we we're not talking like x-men we're not talking x-men no, style mutants no it's okay. mainly it's mainly um well i think it's it's opening up obviously <laughs> you know these, these things change and morph all the time right um so you know uh, but i think that's where it's coming from the, the turtle thing to start with great um so what have have you seen is are are there some good memes we should look up after after this AMA here? Should I mean, we just plug in <laughs> Nexus mutants into Twitter? Anything fun that you've seen? Oh uh, yeah, there is a few of me floating around, which you know, oh boy. Is, is, is kind, of, <laughs> kind kind of a, kind of amusing. But I mean, like you know, it, it's a thing, I guess. But um, I think the one thing that it's cool is that it it kind of. Um, it's the long-term focus and they're kind of um, in there with the, it fits very well with the nature of what we're trying to do. And so, yeah, it, it's a bit of fun, obviously, but it is pretty cool. Okay. So I think we've got about three or four more minutes uh, until the conclusion of this AMA. When I ask you, while we're talking about the community, um, are you like, did you think the community would grow in the way that it did? Are you, are you, are you proud of it? Is there anything you would, you would change? Uh, and how do you think it's going to grow into the future? Yeah, it's a it's a good good question. Um, like it's definitely grown faster than we thought it was going to grow. Um, and you know, kind of all happened all of a sudden, especially over the last few months with with things going. Um, I'm I'm surprised by the memes. I'm surprised by just how people just get stuck in and have so much passion for, for things. Like you know, we've clearly got a bunch of really solid community members. Like you know, getting into the Discord, answering questions. They're clearly experts about what's going on. And it's like, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really amazing to see that, you know, I've personally spent so much time building this thing and designing something, um, building in the dark for a while and, and then and then putting it out there in the community and letting them take control of it. I, 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 yeah, I find it amazing to be honest. So yeah, really happy with it. Um, I think our challenge is always going to be we're a relatively complex system and it, because of this long-term nature and trade-offs and stuff like that, we have to attract the right type of people. And so being able to design incentive mechanisms and also foster our community in the right ways um, is going to be an interesting challenge, um, especially as we grow. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, it's definitely um, cool and looking forward to it. Very cool. All right. We've got time for, I think, one last question, Hugh. And so this is maybe hearkening back to uh, the podcast that we just had you on, where you talked about uh, surviving the bear market. And that's really where where I think both David and I learned that um, you guys were kind of on the brink you know, of, of saying like, this thing's not going to work back in 2018, 2019. We have just had a 40% drawdown in uh, DeFi tokens after an exceptional uh, summer of growth right? You've, you've been a bear market builder. Are we headed back to the bear market? Are you, are you feeling the bear market again? Or is this just, you know, we dust our shoulders off and this is, this is just a mere scratch. <laughs> I have no idea. Don't ask me about that stuff. Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I, I hope that um, honestly, the best case for us is just um, stability and just steady growth. But obviously that's not how crypto markets work. We just have to go, have to go with the extremes in both directions. So um, managing that's um, the, the biggest challenge from a, from, you know, a protocol team's point of view. And, you know, we, I guess we've done it before, so we're confident we can do it again. Awesome. All right. Uh, I said that was the last question, but this is the real last question. So Hugh, uh, where are you from in the world? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Australian. Um, but I've been in London and for about eight, nine years now. So in, in when you go home to Australia, do they talk about you having sort of an English accent? And when you're obviously in London, I'm sure they, they hear an Australian one. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle now, um, depending, yeah. on who I, <laughs> to, to, depending on who I talk to. So, yeah. 
That is awesome. Well, Hugh, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the hot seat with the Bankless Nation for this Ask Me Anything. David, how is YouTube looking? Uh, did we get all the questions answered? We got all of the questions answered. And there, there's a, a fun comment from Alex uh, I'm going to read. Uh, Alex says, uh, keep it up. I love how people are, are imagining things. And Hugh and the team just don't have enough time to execute. It's still early, and that's exciting. I've never been interested in insurance until now. So cheers, Alex. Hugh, you got someone interested in insurance. <laughs> yeah. You got to start Another somewhere. Right? <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we really appreciate the work you are doing to um, get DeFi a little bit safer than it was the day before. Uh, so thanks for spending the time with Bankless today. Cool. Great to be on again, guys. Good to talk to you. All right. Take care, Hugh. Thanks a lot. <laughs>